Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and a planet. My name's Kevin Fulta, and today we're going to talk about indoor air purification with transgenic plants. And actually, this paper caused quite a stir online and a lot of the groups that I watch that said, here is a really great use of this particular technology. And we go to the University of Washington to talk to Dr. Stuart Strand uh, about this innovation. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Strand. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, this is really cool. Um, I think on some of the groups I typically follow online, this popped up probably a dozen times. And uh, just because those of us who try to communicate the good things about biotechnology and how it might be used to solve real problems, this is one that people might have a little trouble arguing with. And so it also is a really novel use of, um, of the technology. So really, the, the punchline is that your group has created plants that can potentially remove carcinogens from indoor air. So first of all, how bad is the indoor air problem? And uh, in what car- carcinogens are present? Well, we're focused on homes in developed countries, in apartments, detached homes. And in those situations, uh, there are three or four uh, important indoor air pollutants. They are benzene, formaldehyde, acrolein, chloroform, and a few others. And these are present at trace levels, but we're talking about cancer. And so any level is a, a problem. Benzene is a proven human carcinogen, and it's one of the top three. Uh, it uh, comes from uh, fuel storage in the home and, and uh, secondhand smoke and other sources. Uh, formaldehyde is a suspected carcinogen. Chloroform comes out of your drinking water when you take a shower, and we can talk about that further. Um, so they're important because they're carcinogens, and the levels, though they are very low, are high enough to cause concern. They, in some cases, they approach industrial regulatory levels, and so they are uh, uh, 
of concern, particularly when you consider that the exposed popula population includes our most vulnerable, vulnerable, our children, our babies. And so it is of concern. That's, uh, that's really interesting because has this become more of a, a thing with time as we've maybe had more air conditioning and closed windows, this kind of thing? And has anyone tried to remove these compounds before? Uh, yes, you're right. You're right about that. Our more energy efficient homes uh, have a have a more of a a problem or a potential problem. There are ventilation systems for homes that can help conserve energy uh, by exchanging air from outside. But if you just do straight ventilation, like opening a window, for instance, uh, that might work during some seasons of the year. But other seasons, you'll be wasting energy, either through air conditioning or heating. Uh, so these levels have obviously increased uh, and measurably increased uh, in homes, uh, modern homes, with very tight insulation. Yes. Yeah, so have any has anyone really made an attempt to remove these before? Like, are, like what kind of what kind of approaches have they used? Okay. Uh, so we, we, you may be very familiar with HEPA filters and with indoor uh, devices for uh, removing particles from the air. And those are quite effective. But here in this case, for benzene and formaldehyde and chloroform, we're talking about gaseous compounds that are present as single molecules in the air, volatile compounds. And there are no devices on the market right now that address that problem. Uh, some activated carbon devices can be used in industrial settings. Uh, they require a lot of maintenance, frequent changing of the media, uh, and they're energy intensive to regenerate that activated carbon. Also, they don't work against things like formaldehyde. They don't work very well against formaldehyde. Um, then there are photocatalytic methods that use high energy electrical methods uh, to oxidize the compounds, to burn them up in effect. Uh, they work well against benzene and formaldehyde, but they don't work against chloroform. Uh, and they're very energy intensive, really not very sustainable. And none of these devices are presently on the mass consumer market for use in the home that I'm aware of. Well, I think all of this really takes most of us by surprise because we think that our homes are, you know, uh, clean and free of this kind of thing. And at the same time, you know, we talk about on this podcast all the time, we talk about um, pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and how the dose makes the poison. And how does that apply to these kinds of volatile in, indoor air contaminants? And, and are they really a risk, even at the small levels that they're present? Well, there have been a number of studies. Uh, lots and lots of data have been acquired of the levels that are present in homes around the world and in, in developed countries. Uh, modern types of housing. And uh, it's been found that these levels are approaching those that are regulated in an industrial setting. And that's kind of alarming, again, when you consider that the population that's exposed are children and uh, homemakers that are present 24 hours in the home, perhaps. Uh, so the risk is real. It's certainly small, as you say, the dose makes the poison to some extent. Uh, but uh, in terms of cancer, uh, even a small dose is uh, over a large population may uh, cause the deaths of uh, unnecessary cancers uh, of uh, thousands of people. Okay, but what do we know about plants and how people have used them before in this kind of air purification idea? 
Well, okay, uh, I might, might get myself in trouble here, but I will say that the literature on indoor uh, plants versus pollution for removing these gaseous type compounds, the literature is kind of full of error and disagreement. We published another study a couple of years ago that looked at the literature and found that the rates reported for the same compound and for the same plant between different labs varied by 10 million times, seven orders of magnitude. Well, that's not science. Science has to have agreement and uh, between labs. And there is no such agreement in the literature. We feel that there's been a lot of artifact in the way these experiments have been done, and uh, we try to avoid that in our experiments. So our, our experiments are done under pure culture, avoiding the bacteria that are in soil that react very strongly to the high levels that are used in these lab experiments. We avoid those bacteria. And when we do that, we find that the wild-type plant that we've been using has little or no activity against these pollutants. It, it makes it a makes lot of a sense, lot of sense though, because when you talk, talk about, about plant biology, you're looking at uh, what the effects of maybe different lighting regimes can be. I mean, one that is more enriched in red light or blue light or far red light, or they forget to fertilize, or you know, one side or the other. It could really help explain those differences that you're seeing in a lot of ways. But um, so, you, so the, the work that all of your that you're doing is uh, in very tight, controlled environments. Correct. That's right. Well, we think the problem has been that almost all the experiments in the houseplant literature to date have been done with soil present. And because of the small volumes of the uh, experimental conditions, the uh, concentrations that, that are used are a million times higher than they are in the home. And when you do that, the microbial population in the soil grows and reacts very strongly to those high levels of pollutant, and you see degradation rates, uh, but it depends upon how many of those bacteria were there, how long they were acclimated to the high levels, that kind of thing. And it's not representative in any way of the microbial activities in a pot in the home, which are not enriched in things like benzene. So we feel those experiments are not representative of the real world conditions. Well, we're talking with Dr. Stuart Strand from the University of Washington Civil and Environmental Engineering Program, and uh, we're talking about a recent breakthrough from their lab or a recent finding in their laboratory of developing plants that can actually remove indoor air pollutants. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, Talking Biotech listeners. This is Nick Syke from No Ideas Media. If you've never heard of No Ideas Media, we make science and agriculture communications videos to be shared on social media sites like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. The videos are not bad, if I do say so myself, and they are pretty effective at communicating complex science and ag topics to the general public. But in order for them to reach the public, I need people like you to share the videos widely. I also need people like you to support No Ideas Media through Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding site, kind of like Kickstarter, but it works on smaller monthly donations. So if you'd like to help No Ideas Media continue the work that we're doing, please go to patreon.com backslash noideasmedia and consider being a patron. Thanks very much. 
And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're talking with Dr. Stuart Strand from the University of Washington about their innovation of creating transgenic plants that can remove uh, impurities from indoor air. Uh, so the solution that your laboratory went with was to install this uh, cytochrome P450 gene. And where does that gene come from and what does it normally do? Well, there are many different types of cytochrome P450s. It's a, a, a family of thousands of different uh, types of, of enzymes, uh, many of which are found in plants, but they all have rather specific activities. The uh, one that we used was from uh, uh, mammals. It's found in the mammal literature, or liver, that is, including uh, in humans. But we used the rabbit gene from rabbit, uh, for the P452E1. The 2E1 is the type of P450 we, we use. And in our livers and in the rabbit liver, uh, it detoxifies these low molecular weight compounds, uh, such as benzene. And oh, so is there any kind of precedence for expressing these air detoxification enzymes in plants? Uh, yes, uh, uh, with uh, uh, Milk Gordon, who has passed away, the late Milk Gordon, and and Sharon Doty, who's a, a faculty member here at the University of Washington, uh, we've shown that 2E1 works against these kinds of compounds in tobacco plants and also in trees. Uh, we were uh, thinking about using trees, poplar trees, to uh, take up groundwater and remove uh, trichloroethylene from the, from the groundwater. And uh, we've done that work for several years, and, and it it works pretty well, but not well enough to uh, really uh, be a breakthrough technology for groundwater. We thought then that the application to indoor air uh, would be better because plants are natural uh, exchangers with air. They get their CO2 from air, so uh, we figured they could also take up these air. And so which plant did your laboratory decide to go with with the transformation here, and why was that chosen? Well, we wanted a house plant that people were familiar with. Uh, so we chose Pothos ivy because uh, uh, Dr. Junjun uh, uh, Chen at the University of Florida uh, has shown that uh, they could, that the Pothos ivy could be transformed. When you try to transform a plant that has not been transformed before, it can take several years of effort to do that. Uh, so we were very happy to see that Dr. Chin had come up with a protocol for transforming pothos ivy. We followed and adapted his uh, protocol and, uh, and did pothos ivy. Now, pothos ivy is ideal for this because it doesn't flower. And uh, not producing pollen and not having sexual transmission of these transgenes being possible uh, is a big advantage in terms of biosafety and ecological safety of these uh, plants. Uh, so uh, that's another reason we chose it. It's also a very robust plant, very easy to grow, kind of hard to kill uh, through neglect. So and it grows well in, in shady and even in semi-darkness. Uh, it maintains its growth. So uh, it's a, a good plant from many Yeah, so respects. this is that thing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but just looking at some of the pictures, it's kind of a viney, um, green, very... Um, uh, succulent leaves, uh, very shiny leaves, sometimes a little variegation. And it's really common in like restaurants. You see it uh, dangling around different places as a house plant. Is that the one we're thinking of? 
<laughs> That's it. All right. It's also called a devil's ivy, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the Latin word is epipremnum aureum, and uh, it is uh, from the tropics, from the South Pacific, and it's uh, uh, just an excellent plant. <laughs> yeah, the devil's that. ivy that can never, never, that can never break bad, right? Um, so if, if you're, you're talking about this ivy now that you have transformed with a cytochrome P450 from, uh, from rabbit, and so how did it perform in laboratory tests? Well, we saw an increase in, uh, in degradation. Uh, we, we saw complete degradation, removal, that is, of benzene and chloroform uh, within three or four days in our small vials with small plants. Um, and uh, we've recently been able to follow that up with larger uh, vessels, and we're still seeing that rate of removal. Um, and uh, it worked great. Uh, the, uh, these compounds uh, disappear, as I say. Uh, benzene is uh, transformed to uh, uh, phenol, uh, which is the addition of an OH group to the benzene ring, and so it's no longer a, a volatile, and it's also no longer carcinogenic. Um, chloroform is completely destroyed down to CO2 and chloride uh, ions, and so it's completely detoxified. And we suspect that the plant takes up the, uh, the phenol and the uh, CO2 uh, into its own metabolism. And do you imagine that this can work on a large scale? I mean, you can do the test in a small chamber or test tube, but do you think that it's realistic that you could have enough plants to be able to take care of, say, an average size home? Yeah, uh, we've done calculations uh, of what would be necessary for this to have an effect. And what we find with our present plants, we would need about 10 kilograms for a home, and it would have to be in some sort of biofilter or mini greenhouse in order to get the air to move over the leaves so that the pollutants can be taken up. If you just have a single plant growing over in the corner of the, your house, it's not really going to do that much good. But if you have them in a forced air, fan-driven sort of mini greenhouse about the size and shape of a window with transparent walls, um, then you can uh, come close to uh, the rates that uh, particle filters can remove particles. And the, the, those rates are quite good. Uh, so, yeah, we think we can make quite a bit of difference with around 10 kilos of our present plants. We're working on ways to increase the activity and increase the rates uh, biologically so that fewer plants will be necessary. But we think we'll always need some sort of forced air me method of getting the air to move over the plants in order to have a realistic effect. Wow, that's really cool. So what happens next? What are the next steps for the project? Well, we're looking for a commercial partner. Maybe some of your listeners out there. Uh, would be interested in uh, investing in uh, in this work. We have uh, gotten approval for sale of these plants in Canada. Uh, now, Pothos ivy will grow, grow outdoors in Florida, in southern Florida. So the USDA regulatory agency here in the States does require us to prove biosafety, to do some biosafety experiments to show that the plant is not more aggressive, more invasive, than a wild-type plant would be, and then we hope to get approval for sale in the States. 
But right now, we're looking for investors and uh, to help us distribute the plants and the devices, the forced air devices, the miniature greenhouses, in Canada. So uh, we're looking to commercialize this, and we're also wanting to continue to, to work on our plants. We've got a second-generation plants coming up that have more activities and uh, hopefully greater rates. And uh, also the green fluorescence, we haven't discussed that, but we have that uh, working better in the second generation. And we have a third generation plants, too, that will have uh, maybe up to four times as much activity against the pollution. Oh, that's really great. I, I guess the thing that maybe going back to more of a philosophical uh, thought about this particular product is do you think that this could be a real game changer in reshaping the public's perception of genetic engineering in plants. I mean, you're using a gene from a rabbit in a plant, which people normally would freak out about. But is this actually giving people technology that they just may really love? Well, I hope so. Uh, my, I'm an environmental engineer, and my goal is to decrease people's exposure to toxic compounds. And that's what these plants do. Uh, I think that there will be something of an intellectual challenge to people who are against GMOs and who, uh, but who want clean air for their families in their homes. And they're going to be forced to try to compartmentalize or maybe to decrease their uh, opposition to GMOs. Uh, now, we do have the advantage that we're not talking about a foodstuff, so uh, maybe it's not quite so personal for people. Um, my opinion is that this might decrease the fear of GMOs uh, who, among a population who are just simply opposed to these things because they're unnatural, quote-unquote. Um, and that might, that might come to pass with time. It certainly seems like one of those game-changers. We talk about those here all the time because that's one of the things I would like the podcast to do is to really arm the listeners and the people who are enthusiasts in science and other scientists with some of the really nice examples of how this technology can do things that are not necessarily on the farm and contributing to seed sales that, you know, with companies people don't like. You know, here this is being used for really good um, benevolent reasons. And, and I think it could be a game changer. So, so if people wanted to learn more about the project, where would you direct them to read more? Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't keep my, my uh, uh, social media up to the extent uh, that I would like. I, I do have a Facebook page called Super Pothos, but I haven't visited it for about a year, I'm afraid. Um, to keep your ear out for the, the popular science websites and blogs like your own here uh, and... Um, see what we come up with. Well, that sounds really good. It's really exciting and another great innovation using this kind of technology. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, you're welcome. And Kevin. thank that you for pleasure. listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Write a review on iTunes and share it with a friend. But most of all, remember the stories like the transgenic pathos or pathos, <laughs> pathos ivy, um, <laughs> very emotional ivy. Um, re remember this example and how this can be, how this kind of technology can be used to do good things for the indoor air and overall the planet. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests,
comments or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.